we really rely on testimonials. And we had a girl in Tanzania who said, you know, like when this program started back when, back about a year ago, she really went back in time. She said, I had something really like horrible happen to me. I was going through something like really difficult. And I, I looked at myself, you know, as somebody who wasn't really worth anything. I looked at myself like as somebody who didn't really have any meaning, like to my family. I didn't feel like I meant anything to my family or my community. I had, but, but now, like, since you guys came in here and I understand for the first time, like the meaning of self-love. Life is an interesting journey. You never know where to take you. Peaks and valleys, twists and turns. Welcome to your next chapter. Regardless of what chapter you're in, success begins with taking ownership of the life you have. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. Taking back your life begins with understanding what mindsets you're operating with. In this podcast, I deconstruct the mindsets of coaches, entrepreneurs, and social influencers to provide you with the skills and mindsets to own and dominate your next chapter. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is Adam Rubin. We just got off Skype and we had the most amazing conversation. I was blown away by it. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. I love having new guests and new followers. Adam, for those of you who don't know who he is, he is the founder of Renew, and Renew is a nonprofit that has brought personal development, and personal development has such a bad stigma but like social intelligence, communication skills, empathy to over 1,500 kids in Tanzania. They've done workshops in Arizona, workshops in Sydney, and they continue to grow. And it's only been, I want to say, five years that Adam's been running Renew or even maybe shorter, but it's been incredible the impact they've had in a short period of time. He has a master's in nonprofit management and leadership, so he comes from a background and understands this space, and he's been working on the ground for the last few years. I actually get into my notes here and find out exactly when it is that he started Renew. 2013, four years ago, he started Renew and it has been a huge impact and success thus far. And so I'm so stoked to have him on the podcast today. So without further ado, here is Adam Rubin. Adam Rubin, welcome to the show today. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, brother. You have probably never listened to one of these before, so I'm going to get right into it. And so if you had listened to one of these, you would know that every single podcast starts the exact same way. And I asked my guests, if your life was a book title, what would be the title of your book? And I might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but I'm curious to know what your answer is. What comes to mind is leading from the heart. That's that that has always been kind of an anchor for me. I think, you know, I've, I've always toggled with this idea of leadership and, and it being heart centered. And that's that's really what compels me when in all my work. So I think it would be called leading from the heart. Nice and clean. I like it. Leading from the heart. And that's it. Eh? No like tagline. People sometimes throw on these like extra taglines, but you would just go leading from the heart. And I feel that's a great way to start off this podcast. I'm loving it already. But that's it. Leading from the heart. That would be the way you'd start off. Yeah, no, no, no colon, no subtitle, man. I, I, I think, uh, I think we're just going for the short, simple, and strong title here. And so, why leading from the heart? What is it about your story or your life or experiences that makes you say, at this stage in your life, you'd call your book "Leading from the Heart"? Yeah. So, a, a 
lot of my work as a coach is, is really helping heart-centered entrepreneurs. And if I looked at it from kind of a step back, and, and I would say it's heart-centered leadership. I don't think we ever understand what the word leadership means. It's kind of this, this, this term that's been used ambiguously for, for our entire lives. And I know for me, you know, in my story, I did a lot of work with quote-unquote leadership as a kid and growing up and studying it. Um, but what I think it really is, it's, it's leadership can be perceived as doing. I'm really at a point in my life where I'm, I'm, I'm so much more focused and interested on being. How do we be from the heart? How do we stop thinking of what we want to do from our heads and really drop into our hearts um, as a way to create impact and serve people and help others? Um, that's actually where I believe we create from, but we get stuck in our heads too often trying to figure out how do we do it? How does it work? What does it look like exactly? But if we, if we drop up into our heart and lead from our heart, make decisions from our heart, communicate from our heart, even think from our heart, that's where the creative energy is. That's where we remember what it is we're really supposed to do. And so you really believe it's all about your heart. It's not about being up in your head and what's going up here and getting all logical. It's really about dropping down a lot lower and feeling more. It sounds a little more like intuition is the word that I would throw on it. And going from that heart-centered place and making decisions based from that point of view as opposed to trying to get all logical about it. Exactly. Yeah. Intuition is huge. I think um, it's, it's – some people will see, you know, like some people are more intuitive actually don't believe that i just think that we're just some people are more in tune with it at this moment i think it's a skill you can hone in on right so um yeah and, and it's interesting you said i think that head plays a really crucial role um in kind of connecting the feelings and the intuition of the heart but i think that's where it starts so in my coaching i call it inspired action and this is a good kind of explanation of this space that i think exists kind of physically and energetically between our heads and our hearts, right? So uh, we can really tap into feelings of the heart and the intuition and the emotion, but how do we then kind of surface up and, and, and think and visualize and create what it is we want, the life we want, the career we want from our heads and remember? And then how do we, how do we hone in on that space? How do we move up from our hearts and down from our heads? And what is that sweet spot in between where we can really take inspired action, I say, because your head's still going to help you make the decisions, can help you create, but it's got to feel in alignment with your heart. It's got to be on, in, in tune with your heart. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of this beautiful dance, I think, in between, but we get caught in our heads all the time, right? That's, I think, a lot of our, our pain and confusion and, and frustration. Um, I think all those, those are heady feelings, right? I think a lot of those things end up being heady feelings. So, how do we spend more time here? And you're reminding me of a conversation with my buddy, Rob Fajardo. He uh, runs uh, an organization called Leave Normal Behind. But basically, he talked about heart science when we yeah, record our podcast. Rob, Rob's a good buddy of mine. Oh, you know Rob. Yeah, exactly. And so he loves heart science. Right? So we are talking about that. And he's talking about the neurons in the heart and like how there's neurons in our head. And there's more in our head, but there's also neurons in our heart and how we can – you know, how he talked about heart transplant and basically how people would remember these like incidences from other people. And so it's interesting how there are neurons in our heart and we don't think about it being a decision making factor in our body, but it is definitely an aspect and it seems like there's more science evolving and growing around that. And so you're definitely 
making me think back to that conversation and I'm loving it. So Rob's a good buddy of mine. Actually, we, we met a year ago back at the New Way Live Peter Kelly's event. So uh, Rob and I have been connected since then. Always good to touch in with him. But yeah, Science of the Heart. There's a, if you're interested in that topic, beautiful book. Whenever I'm asked like book recommendations, my favorite book is called Buddha's Brain. Mm. If anybody who's read it, it's by Rick Hansen. And what's interesting is Rick Hansen does neuroscience, and literally, as you're talking about, a lot of neuroscience of the brain in regards to mindfulness, Buddhism, mindful practice, meditation. But what he really does is he utilizes stories, central stories of Buddhism and spirituality, and he kind of ties the two together. So it's a really cool book for people who, probably like Rob and yourself, who are, are interested in myself, interested in the neuroscience behind it. You know, what's happening in the amygdala and the, and the cortex actually scientifically and physically but at the same time spiritually how do we harness those things right and and that was a game changer for me kind of in my awakening of it gives you really very real practices to drop into um cultivating your heart space but at the same time still in your mind so such cool science behind it coming out i think every day they're making strides are there any concrete example or exercise that you can draw from that book or even like ones that you do with your program? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I really want to get into Renew in a second here, and I feel like we're going to go on tangents, but I love giving my audience practical stuff. And so is there anything that comes from the book or anything that you do in your workshops where you can give somebody an exercise about getting more heart-centered and really getting into that? Because a lot of stuff in this industry is very fluffy, and it's not that I don't mind that. I feel there's a time and place for it, but I feel people really want concrete, specific tools. In a day and age of apps and technology, and we want quick results, do you have an exercise or something that comes to mind that might be able to be more of a practical tool for people? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind from that book um, he talks about cultivating empathy and, and actually this is one of my favorite chapters in, and I'm trying to dust off the cobwebs now because it's been a couple of years since I've reread the, the brain's book. turning. You're like, you're it, like thinking, you're like, right. I'm trying back. to use, I'm trying to use my head to get back into this. This is when the head is useful, right? You gotta, you gotta turn back. Yeah. If I used it more often instead of my heart all the time, it would be easy for me to remember. Right. Um, yeah, this it's the, the exercise is a really cool one. He, Rick talks about, interestingly, you know, it starts with breath work. A lot of this stuff's obviously it's meditation, it's breath work. So yeah. closing your eyes, kind of really getting in touch with your breath, taking three really deep breaths into your heart. And that's just a way to kind of ground yourself into that space. So you get out of the, the space of thinking about your breath and really feeling into it. So yeah, closing your eyes and, and taking three really deep breaths into your heart. And he suggests thinking about a child that you really love. And that's to really nurture this sense of compassion. And it could be a child, your own child. It could be a niece or a nephew. It could be a grandchild. Um, he really, he just wants you to think about a child that you love that brings up this really deep sense of care and nurture and love. And to really breathe through that and to feel kind of that, that child in your heart. And to then think about, I think, somebody who's taking care of you you're an adult in your life who's really nurtured you and taken care of you and really cultivating that gratitude and, and continuing to breathe with them and almost feeling as though they're there with you and just continuing with that breath. And that's kind of the simplicity of the exercise. It's, it's kind of using those two anchors, um, almost like a 
visualization through the meditation um, and continuing to breathe and, and wherever it goes from there is, is kind of up to the person who's in the exercise. But I've used that a lot. I've actually, now that I'm thinking through it, I've, I've anchored into that for a lot of my visualizations and a lot of my work. And it's so powerful because instantly it brings you into a place, right? You might've just thought of, of like a niece or a nephew. And then you thought maybe to your mom or your dad, it instantly kind of drives you into this place in your heart, this memory that, that really brings up some fondness. So I, th I think it's a powerful and it's really simple. Um, and you don't, you don't have to think too hard about how do I breathe through this? It's more about how do I think back and really, really feel myself going back to those people that I love dearly. Well, it's interesting. And you, when you explain that, you make me think back of Tony Robbins interview on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And I know this is something that went viral from that episode where Tony Robbins talked about a gratitude exercise that he does and how you can basically mask any feeling of anger or frustrated emotion or upset emotion. And he talked about putting both hands over your heart and then really focusing on three separate moments in life where you felt like joy, pleasure, or connected with somebody. And you go through these each three moments. And at that point, they've done studies where it's like the, if you had like a scan of your brain, basically all the frustration and emotional energy would be in this place of gratitude and happiness. And so he talks about, and Tony Robbins is the master of like going into different states and really being that guy. But he talks about how you can use gratitude to shift your emotional body and shift yourself into a different state of being. But I think that's a tricky thing, right? Is where I do, I'm a very logical guy and I try to give my audience, you know, like these logical solutions, but really it is an emotional problem, right? And so you can't get an mm -hmm. answer to emotional problem with a logical formula. And this is something that I've been realizing more and more where you need to be able to understand your emotions and tap into your emotions and be able to work with those because it's, you're not always going to have rational, logical answers. And so I feel this is a great segue for talking about Renew because this is a big reason why I brought you on the show and to talk about what you do with Renew because really it's a program about giving kids life skills, emotional intelligence. So for people that don't know who you are and what you do, talk a bit more about Renew because this is really what I want to dig into and just find out more about it and the results that you've had and what it's done for people out in Africa and the U.S. where you've run it. Yeah, thank you so much, brother. So, yeah, Renew is a nonprofit that brings personal development, self-love, and self-discovery to kids all around the world. Uh, we founded in 2013 in Tanzania. My co-founder, Uswege, is, is Tanzania, my brother on the other side of the world. Um, always running the programs, just finished a workshop there. So uh, we've also launched <clears throat> last year in Australia. Australia. So we're, we're kind of running the programs here, getting it started in Australia. We've run programs in Arizona, where I'm from, um, and continue to expand. And like what you said, it's, in its essence, we're bringing the programs of personal development that are available for adults to children. So we start with middle school aged, 11 and 12. Our primary focus is really teenagers in high school. Um, and now we work up through college, including and even now we're, we're training teachers, people who are in teachers' colleges. So the range is really age 12 to 24. It's a one-week workshop um, that takes young people through this beautiful process of discovery, growth, and transformation with a really strong focus um, on self-love. And we've been doing the work, you know, for these, these last four years, and it's, it's a beautiful journey, man. We've, we're actually just during a week – 
going to have our volunteer program. So we've got a group of nine volunteers coming over to join us in Tanzania. Uh, we do a three-week program over there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful journey that, that has expanded into lots of offerings. So, um, you know, aside from the workshops, we do, we do speaking summits, these Renew Youth Summits, which we're going to launch both in Tanzania and in Arizona and beyond. So um, it's beautiful that you mentioned Tony's exercise. He calls that the emotional flood. That's actually something that I've adapted for the kids. We do that every, every workshop. So if you, if you tune into some of our videos, you'll see the kids with their hands over their hearts. And uh, it's quite emotional, right? It's, and, and it's the exercise itself uh, and the words that I speak as I lead them through the emotional flood are quite different but um that's that's a perfect example of people say okay how what's your curriculum and your content look like i'll ask them what's the most powerful you experience you've had in personal development thus far in your life and a lot of them will say okay i've worked with tony and done this and, this and i'll say that's exactly what we've adapted for the kids to make it work for them so i had i was in a room doing the emotional flood with tony and i, I asked myself how powerful would this experience have been as a kid and that's exactly why we started Renew. We asked ourselves, why are we using this personal development as a way to heal the wounds of our past as adults later on in the game? What if we could use this as a preventative medicine for children? What if we could use this in a proactive way to give this to kids right when they're experiencing it, right in the thick of all the emotional pain that they're going through, the confusion of growing up as a teenager, as we all know? What if we could give them these tools, these life skills, right? So, um, yeah, that's kind of the origin of Renew and a, and a little bit of how we do what we do. And I think it's important for people to understand, like, if you've never experienced Tony Robbins or even watched the documentary, it's like he does really have that ability to take you to deep emotional places. Like, the man feel break down and cry. And so the, this tough part with personal development that I find is it has a stigma of, it's not even, it's like, it's hard to measure results, right? It's like, we live in such a results world where it's like, you know, like if you're in debt, you know, you're in debt, right? It's like, if you have Instagram followers, you have Instagram followers. It's like, they're, the data's <laughs> there, right? But it's like, yeah. if you don't, like emotions is like, I don't think we'll ever be able to measure it, but I think it's so important. And this is why I talk about all the time and why I have this podcast, because it has a much greater impact and like, you can never get the ROI on it. And it's like, there's a point where Gary View is like, what's the ROI on your mother? And it's a great thing. It's like your mother is like this person has been there for you, has probably helped you in more ways than you can ever imagine, but she's been there emotionally, feeding you, clothing you, all these things. And so sometimes it's hard to gauge the value of these things, right? But it's it, to me, it's like it's more valuable than anything you can do. And and so that's the tricky part with it. And so the thing about Tony, and, like, and I'm glad that you know that exercise, and that's probably why we're connecting and it's amazing that you're on the show for that reason because like you get the wavelength and so but I think that's the important thing that people aren't focusing on and the fact that you're bringing this to kids in Africa you're bringing this kids to kids in Sydney now and in the US and so that's important right and so what have you found like so the kids that go through this program like what kind of results do they have or like what are you finding the impact is like maybe even like a specific case study might be an example but how do you find that this impacts them yeah, it's um, it's such a good question because, and and I always try to like do my part in being really honest uh, around this, but also like demystifying what I think needs to be demystified around like impacts 
studies. So, and I think it's important for people to know my background too. My master's is in nonprofit leadership and management. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time in that degree um, studying case studies and looking at impacts measurements and looking at how do nonprofits measure what they do um, and the impact they create in societies, right? And and, and with their target participants. So um, a lot of research and quantitative and qualitative assessments like around that. Yeah. For me, to be completely honest with you, um, that's not that important to me as, as far as like quantitative studies because they're, they're really, they're so difficult to do. And this is a I shift agree. that the nonprofit sector really has to make because what's happening is there's this really strong demand. You have this sector that depends on fundraising. It depends on grants. It depends on the ability to raise money. And the measures that they're being demanded to provide are really too often too heavy quantitative, right? So you're being asked to do these, for us, we really went through this experience of, all right, you have a group of 30, 40 kids, you give them a pretest to see where they at, and you're asking questions about their emotional state, their self-esteem, there's lots of indicators around this, right? They do exist. Um, how do they view themselves? What's their perception? What's their level of mindfulness right. before they do the program? Um, and then you can measure it afterwards, right, directly after the program. You can come back again in three months. You can come back again in six months, a year. Um, these are all very real measures, and people use them successfully. But there are, in my opinion, there are so many factors that can affect those indicators and those measures, right? And it, are you getting a, a real taste and a real view of what your program has done quantitatively? Probably not, in my opinion. You know, it, probably not. We have all sorts of studies that we've done with schools in Tanzania, um, and almost every single time if we go back to the school, all, all of the kids who participated in the program have massive increases in their test scores. Right. So, and and that's a big. You mean like test scores, as in like their academic results? Like I mean, not, their academic test yeah, scores. Not Aside like, from what, yeah, not what we're testing on them on, right? right? So, like, we'll say, what were your scores? And they're really big on this in, in Tanzania. It's kind of a British style of education. So, right. What were your test scores um, at the end of the term before we came to you? And then the teacher will say, okay, this is how these particular thirty students performed. Right. We'll come back after the program, and he'll say, honestly, I have to share this. Sometimes we won't even ask. The teacher will say, I have to share this with you guys. All those 30 students have performed have massive like increases in their test scores. That's a huge. That's amazing. Man. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. It's and it's great. And it's and of course we share that because we're proud of those students. Um, but it it doesn't skew the fact for me that that still can involve like a lot of variables. Um, it, it it's it's just something that's really hard to measure. So I think it's important. I don't think that funding and grants should be tied to measures like that. I th so for us, we spend a lot more time on qualitative assessment, right? So right. the same thing you would ask adults, like after they finish something, how did you feel? These are real questions that we ask the kids. How do you view yourself before you walked into this workshop and how do you look at yourself now? Right? And so you can go back and, and, and what we do is we, we have videos of the students. It's like we really rely on testimonials. And we had a girl in Tanzania who said, you know, like when this program started back when, back about a year ago, she really went back in time. She said, I had something really like 
horrible happened to me. I was going through something like really difficult. And I, I looked at myself, you know, as somebody who wasn't really worth anything. I looked at myself like as somebody who didn't really have any meaning, like to my family. I didn't feel like I meant anything to my family or my community. I had, but, but now, like since you guys came in here and I understand for the first time, like the meaning of self-love, like I can see that I have more meaning. I have an opportunity to actually like love myself for who I am. Right, and that is so much more powerful to me to hear that somebody's view of themselves has transformed. That's something I can't capture with numbers and, and measurements and, that's the and part. indicators data. It's so difficult, right? So, you know, just to come back to your question, we try to get a mix of both, and I do think it's really important, and I, I do respect the process, but it, what you said is so spot on. It's like when we came into this human experience, we didn't come in as numbers and as logical assessments and as rationale, right? We, we came in as these heart-centered beings, um, and, and we do the best that we can to, to measure the progress that we're making. Um, but it's the, look at the impact, right? If you look at yourself and your, I'm sure your own personal development journey, for me, if I would have had personal development as a teenager, it would have had a massive difference on what I would have chosen to study when I went to college. Now that's something you might not even think about as an impact of personal development as a kid because you didn't you might not have had this as a kid. But when I'm when I'm working with these kids in like the states and Australia, I'm thinking, God, if I would have only been sitting where they're sitting right now to get this program, my 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 heart, but my mind would have been cracked open to new possibilities. I could have really believed in myself and I would have taken a different path. Right, so there are all these things. How do you measure that? Right, I wonder how do you measure things like that? Is there these are just big feelings, right? And so, and I agree with you hundred percent because even you're dead on. My own personal journey has been astronomical, and so basically, I started this podcast um, about a year and a half ago. But I left my corporate job about a year ago, and people that follow me and know my story pretty well will know this. But I was given a promotion. I declined the promotion. And I was let go within 24 hours, and I had, you know, a $7,000 salary, living downtown Vancouver, a fancy condo, a pool in the basement, gym, hot tub, like the whole nine yards. But I was pretty miserable on the inside, right? I just wasn't that happy with what was going on. And at the time, I was bisexual, dating men and women. I wasn't comfortable talking about that, but I was living with a lot of secrecy, shame, and emotions and frustration. And so I started this podcast, and not that I ever intended on coming forward and living in my truth. But one thing led to another, and I hired Javon Lang, that was a huge part, like he pushed me forward. He's like, dude, you gotta talk about this. He's like, if this is your pain, this is what you gotta talk about. And it's funny, like I, since that time, like I was more in debt when I was making $70,000 a year than I am today. Like I am financially way better off, and it's like, even though I make way less money, I'm emotionally way happier. I can talk about who I am. The people I attract into my life, like when I'm dating men or women now, they're very comfortable with who I am. They find it attractive. And my emotional, like my level of happiness is significantly higher. And so Vancouver's a great city. I still miss Vancouver to fucking death. It's a great place and compared to where I am now. But it's my overall well-being, like on every matrix that I can quantify, like finances, emotional well-being, happiness, and I'm way better off. And 
it's one of these things that's interesting because it's like, what what have I done? I've started a podcast. I've talked to people. I've opened up, shared my story. But that growth that I've had from the guests that I've had on here, from it's just been amazing people, and it's just been endless conversations. It does push you to evolve into a new place, and I'm way happier. And then it's like, so on paper, I don't have what other people can see, but I feel like I'm a million times better off. And that's just one story. That's my story. But I would think that you would see this all the time with the students that you impact and what you do because you work on the ground level with people, and you would see this again and again is what I believe. Yeah, it's – um. Well, and I want to ask you a question here too, but I just want to say that it's so inspiring uh, to hear you share that. I'm I'm really inspired to hear you share that, like coming forward also with 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 who you are, stepping really into who you are, having that space. That's beautiful, man. But um, it it can be a really painful but beautiful reminder of who we are when you're working with 11 and 12 year old kids, um, and you realize how how quickly how early in life like we get these belief systems right you're talking about stories and you 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 try to think back in your own life really when i was 11 and 12 years old or even 13 or 14 whatever feels like a formidable age did i really what story did i believe in about myself like how did i see myself right and like you know how did that affect how i shared myself with others and and it's always so painful for me to it really towards the end of the workshop when you ask these kids we always ask a really simple question like what part of yourself do you still feel like you're not loving unconditionally where do you still feel like you're judging yourself in your life it's the same question i asked adults that i asked to kids and it's it's a it's a really painful reminder that these kids have a very particular answer to that and and they're only 12 years old, right? These kids are already, you'll hear stuff like, I, I'm still, it, it, some kids, a 12 year old girl here in Australia said, it's just, it feels so difficult to be able to like live up to my parents' expectations of perfect, right? Then you really, it, 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 you, when you hear that even, right? You get this like feeling in your heart and it brings you back to, is that, how I felt when I was a 12 year old kid was that is not the same story. Like I experienced it, even though it's a little bit difficult to remember. Um, so I would love to ask you, brother, like what impact would this have had on you when you were back when you were a kid at whatever age that would have been and, and you know, kind of what story were you living through? It's interesting. Um, and I just quickly ran through my mind. I feel the biggest thing was that, it would have given me power to step into myself a lot younger, right? And I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I just read this book, Toxic Parents, and not that my, par my parents are very loving, but in a lot of ways, Eastern European, and it's like academia is the way to go, right? Like behind me, I have like quotes and art, and it's like I have a Bansky up there. I have JR, like two graffiti artists that I love to death, and I've always identified myself as an artist. And so I applied. I was a photographer in high school, and I applied to university for one program. I didn't get in. And so I feel from that point, I just went on this like 10 year derailment of not pursuing who I am because I felt I had to fit this mold. And so I feel like to answer your question, I would have stepped into my own a lot sooner. It only feels like yeah, I'm 32, but it only feels at 30 have I started making choices for myself. And that might sound ridiculous because it's like I've been making choices my whole life. 
But in a lot of ways, I've been making choices not from my heart, but from like out of what social expectations were, what I was a huge people pleaser to please other people. And it wasn't for myself. It was for other people. And so I really feel like I've only started living for myself like the last little bit. And so and taking actions in a career path to relate to that. So that's I just feel I would have been on this path way sooner and believed in myself a lot sooner and had more mojo to go after who I was. And so that would be my answer to you. Yeah, it's it's, it's such a right. It's like we we and, and it's 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 a beautiful thing once you start really deeply reflecting on it. It's like you knew who you were, even though it seems impossible. Like Always. It feels impossible. Yeah. You know who you were. We know we know this like truth that's inside of us. It's just it truly is this pivotal point. Like a teenager, you're so confusing, so frustrating, so like can be so painful because of it's a confusing life experience, right? Like you're you're physically, emotionally, energetically growing into your own around a bunch of other teenagers, um, and sometimes in a very difficult experience of childhood at home within the home. You have all these like places where that are incubating who you are right school home environment community and media now is such a big one right social media so during this powerful time it's really just distracting you away from who you are and, and, it, and you come kind of full circle back in this journey some point in your adulthood you say wait a second like it's time for me to remember who that person is that's a lot of like what my belief system and my work, um, even my coaching is, I call it remembering your purpose because I don't believe that we need to actually discover who we are. I just think that there was a point in time where maybe we forgot and karmically that can be a long time ago. Um, but sometimes it's just in childhood, something happened that made us forget who we are. We just need to tap back into it and remember who that person is because it's, it's the gift and the truth was there. It's just like you said, it's something beautiful. It would have this courage that you would have had to just to step in earlier on in life. And so let me flip back. Like, how would it have impacted you as a kid? Because I know I read about your story, right? You said you're born two months prematurely. You're labeled ADHD. You had Ritalin. Yeah. Um, you had loving parents very similar to you and I, but you felt like you were never enough, right? Like you, nothing that you did, like you're competing with your older sister. I believe she's older. Like I have an older sister. And so yeah. this mentality of I'm not good enough, doesn't matter what I do. I was, she was always the perfect one. I was the black sheep. I was the outlier. So how would it have impacted you? Like going back to your own, and I'm sure it's influenced your journey, but how would it have changed your life? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a lot of my story. It's growing up, like you said, with really beautiful, loving parents, so nurturing, so supportive. Um, but I remind, I always remind people in my work of healing, like the inner child, it's so important to recognize with their parents that they did the best with what they had at that point in time. Right. And they, they had their own healing journey to go on just like we have our own journey and just like our kids will have our own journey. Right. So for me, it was this feeling of like otherness that was created um, yeah, being born premature, really from, from the time I came into the world, um, I, I was kind of like underdeveloped, I would say, um, I was, I was a little bit underdeveloped and that was reinforced by the notion that, you know, that this attention deficit hyperactivity disorder was, was, was such a strong force in my life. And I think as kids, this is important for anybody who's faced anything and been prescribed a medicine for it. 
just within the fact that you're being forced to take a medicine or that you're choosing to take something to treat something, there's a notion built into that that something is kind of wrong with you. You're tr if, and, and sometimes it's an, it, it's an illness, right? Like you're treating something. So that creates a subconscious belief that you're different or that like something needs to be fixed. Um, and that happened really early on for me. So I actually took myself off the Ritalin at 12 years old, um, which is an interesting age because we're talking about 11, 12 years old. And I, it, I, I had this feeling as a kid that every single day I'd have to go to the nurse's office and it was in the middle of recess, in the middle of lunch. And it's like, I can viscerally remember that like, it was like being pulled in a really embarrassing way, being pulled out of the phone of being a kid and the normalcy of being a kid and being reminded that don't forget to go take this pill. Right. And, 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 and that feeling, um, was something that I, I guess I, one day I just, I had enough. I went into that nurse's office and I looked at that pill and I couldn't even remember this feeling of, you know, going back in time and being told that that was what I needed. And, and I threw the pillow in and in that moment I said, I'm not, I'm not like taking this anymore because I don't think I need anything. Right. But that, that had been long enough in my journey to, to, to have the beliefs built into my mind that that was, that I needed to be fixed in one way or another. So, um, like a lot of kids, yeah, perfectionism came out of that comparison with an older sibling, comparison with other people, putting impossible expectations on myself, right? These are a lot of things that show up in this kind of archetype. Um, but also I think it's important to mention as an empath too, I think like it's super hard to understand when you grow up as an empathic, sensitive kid, what that means until you're an adult and you do a little bit of research on what it means to be an empath. But as a kid, it feels like an overwhelm of emotion where you feel like you want to do so much to help other people. And one of the really important thing to mention is for empaths who might be listening to this podcast. Wait, what is an empath? Because I don't know an empath. Yeah, an, an, an empath. Other people... a, a total, yeah, good. I'm, I'm going to mention an empath, somebody who really um, holds extra space in their heart and sometimes might take on the emotions of others because empathically you can really feel into the pain of others and the pain of the world as if it's your own. You feel others' pain as if it's your own. So, you know, as, as an adult, that kind of manifests as I want to get out there and change the world. I want to create something from my heart that helps serve others. But as a kid, what we, what we learn now through research is, is that you end up actually adopting and mimicking the behavior of the people around you. And who are the people you love the most? It's your parents, right? Usually it's your parents, or your siblings. So what's really interesting here, and, and this becomes a really big realization for me and for other people, is that for your parents, whatever pain that they're going through and whatever journey that they're transgressing through, you might be picking up, adopting, and mimicking those same behaviors. Right. So, and this is a huge thing because this can be quite confusing for people once they get into adulthood and they say, I felt like I've lived this life of really deep, intense pain, but I can't locate in my life where that happened. Right. They'll say, I lived this really privileged childhood. I'm a perfect example. I live this really beautiful privileged childhood. Where could this have come from? Empathically, we adopt and mimic the same behaviors of, of our parents. Right. right. And, and, and so for me, I had a mother who went through a lot of pain in her childhood, a lot of pain in her life. And 
as a way to protect and to love her and as empathically, I, I took on a lot of those things. So um, for me to answer the question, brother, it would have been a massive opportunity to understand everything I just shared, to understand who I was, that it was okay to be sensitive. It would have been a really beautiful opportunity to, to look and say, you know, it's okay if it's a little bit harder for me to love myself. Like if, if self-love is more of a journey as a 12 and 13 year old kid, here are tools and skills to cultivate a little bit more of that self-love. It would have been a really beautiful opportunity just to discover who I was and, and to, to be okay, to have somebody tell me it's okay to feel a little bit confused and frustrated at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Here are the parts of yourself and, and here are some of your goals and dreams that you can set for yourself early on. Um, here's how to manage your emotions when things get kind of complicated in your family with your friends, right? Just all these things we wish we had when we were kids, right? Just like, you know, just emotional intelligence, right? So, um, yeah, it would have been a game changer for me. It would have been a really game. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge reason why um, I do what I do and why we felt compelled to start this organization. And that's the why, you know? And it's interesting because I had this guy, Mark Rose, on the podcast. He's in Vancouver. You'd love him. He's a relationship coach, but I forget how you describe himself. But he's basically like uh, a connection expert, a, a connection expert like, between people. But he talks about how we're at a point where we can heal for our family and we can heal our entire family tree. It's like we're not just healing for ourselves. Like we're going back generations because what you're talking about, how like these wounds keep getting carried on, passed on. And I see that more and more, even like how – as my dad gets older, like how he shows up as my grandfather and just how he carries on this pain he's not aware of. Yeah. And it's like, it's, and some people won't take on this responsibility, but like you can heal, like you can heal for your family and heal for others. And so it's interesting how that um, does play out is what it comes down to, because it's such a huge opportunity for us to, and I believe we're at this point of an emotional revolution where it's like, it's not a technology revolution we're living through. It's emotionally that next level for us as human species is like spiritually emotionally and that's where we need to break through because the amount of anxiety depression divorce is staggering and so to me technology will keep going but we as a species need to evolve internally because we've done so much on this front the logical front and on the technological front and money front but internally i feel like we're still so hurting and damaged and depressed that we need to keep making progress there and that's why the work you're doing is amazing and that's why i have this podcast because i just don't feel enough time is spent on it mm, I, I i couldn't love what you just said anymore brother this emotional evolution where we're keeping up right we're we're being asked and tested to keep up as things like technology exponentially advance how do we keep up with our hearts right with the evolution of how we're, how we're working through this emotionally what you just mentioned about this guy who joined you on the podcast, I'd, I'd love to connect with him because that was my entire journey. I just spent these last two months in Bali. Um, if you go back and, and read, that was exactly what I went through in my own like personal growth journey was this realization that I've almost chosen, but it's this feeling that I'm here to do the forgiveness work and the healing for generations right that's what our calling right now is for this generation this is our emotional evolution like you're saying because emotions have been so suppressed right and i think this is so huge for men as men and as brothers i think we really have to make a calling for this to step forward because emotions and speaking our truth and shining our light and really being vulnerable and sensitive and stepping into that heart space 
that has been so suppressed for so long. And when we're going back and we're looking at past generations, that keeps getting repressed, right? And as it gets swept under the rug, like you're saying, it gets carried on into the next generation. But now we're re in our evolution, we're really being asked to do kind of this karmic work, which, which is you can forgive and it might not be yours. It might be three, four, five, six, seven generations back, but you're here and you can do the forgiveness work. You can feel into the pain emotionally as if it's your own and you can release it, right? You can let go of it. And by doing that, you're not just clearing out this old energy, you're creating new space. That's the space that we, that we, that, that whenever people experience blocks and they feel stuck in their life, it's not because um, they need to create something new. It's because there's not even space to create something new. They've got to be able to clear the space. But sometimes what you're saying is so important. Sometimes that blockage isn't even ours. We're still holding on to something that's generations old. So until we do the work of clearing out that space, we won't really even feel comfortable. There'll, there'll, there'll be old energy attached to us. So we won't be able to create something new. So I love that you brought that up because that's that's been really present for me. Um, I, I could not encourage people enough to give themselves space and time, like what I went through in Bali, this space and time for yourself to, to really connect into kind of your lineage and your ancestry and, and to see and to ask maybe, you know, spiritually, where might there be old, old blockages and pain and, and to, and to ask even into your parents and your family, what have we gone through collectively? Um, and what work needs to be done to let go of it, to release it. And it's, it's so funny to say that because me and Mark, the guy I was talking about, we end off the podcast about how he keeps stepping into the unknown and living in the unknown. And this is where you're talking about where it's like for us to heal, we have to get into this place of we're not certain what's there and live on the other side of that. And something that you were just on the Purpose Driven Drive podcast, I had to look back at my notes here, and you said something that I thought was brilliant and beautiful about the entrepreneurial journey where we live in this conditioned world. When we go to school and university, it's like if I go to school for my political science degree, I'm going to become a lawyer. We know what's on the other side of it. And you say the thing about the entrepreneurial journey is that you have to be able to have courage and bravery to step into the unknown because a lot of times you don't know what you're creating. You don't know what's on the other side. You don't know what's going to happen, but you just have to act. And I believe you're talking out of like, again, heart centered is going back to the start of the podcast where you're letting that heart lead you forward, but you don't have a lot of the answers. And so me and Mark left off of that. I mean, I'd love to ask you, like, it sounds like we need to live in the unknown, right? And so how like what are your thoughts and like how do you live in the unknown because i think it's an essential thing that we need to do as a species and where we're at and maybe we can give the audience and listeners some advice on like how do we step into the unknown how do we because it's not just for kids that are 11 and 12 or 24 or 48 i think everyone needs to start embracing that because we're so focused on we want to predict the future but that's not the right way to go about it so what can we leave the audience with about stepping into that knowing like based on the work you've done and the workshops that you run with the kids what advice or how would you speak to that in this moment yeah it's a beautiful question i love it um and i, and I should mention too something that's that you just said about it's not just for kids 11 and 12. the training that we provide to the kids all the way from 11 to 12 to teenagers to college students 
is the same training we provide to adults, <laughs> right? So it, it and, and you can look at that from both ways and say, this might be really advanced for the kids um, because we might have been the first ones that said, kids are advanced enough to handle this. Let's see what happens inside of their hearts when you give them something maybe you didn't give them credit for before. Right, but it's there's another really key thing in there in that we all have an inner child within us that needs to be healed. We need to give ourselves the space to ask ourselves these same questions and to sit with the answers and, and sit with the space even when we don't know the answer. So I love this question, how do we move into the unknown and how, how do I do it? For me, it's all about surrender. And I think it's so difficult like in this day and age, because we have so much information available to us, it would be so, we're conditioned to have quick answers, right? We're conditioned to be able to access something at our fingertips and instant gratification, you know? So it, surrender is, is harder than it ever was before, I think. I really think it's hard for people to surrender into the unknown and, and to, but for me, it comes from this really deep knowing that there's something bigger and greater than us out there. There's something bigger at play. There's, whether you want to call it God or the universe, there's, there's an energetic force that at all times we can surrender into, and we're not the ones controlling that, right? We're not the ones controlling that, so we couldn't possibly know the answers. And if, unless, if we think we can control that, that it's almost like, we put too much weight and pressure on ourselves when we're not the ones really at that in control of that process anyways. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. And I wanted to touch on that because I think what you made a really important point. I think we spiral into these feelings of anxiety and depression um, because we're putting so much pressure on ourselves to understand a destiny and to understand exactly the direction that we're heading in because of how we've been conditioned, like you said, with these degrees and this kind of very linear journeys, when we're human beings living this human experience at a very cellular and spiritual level. And I think we really need to remember that, right? So I think, I think it starts with surrender, it starts with remembrance um, and, and letting go of expectations, right? I think, and those might have come from childhood from our parents, and they might have had parents in society that give them their own expectations culturally. That plays a big part, but I think it starts with letting go of expectations, surrendering to a bigger process, and, and remembering that we're all born with this really beautiful, powerful, impactful heart that wants to connect with other people at a really deep level. Um, and Sometimes it means, I always, you know, I always coach people through, it's, again, it's not about discovering your purpose, it's remembering your purpose often lies right alongside your greatest pain. So I think there's a willingness to sit with the pain. And you really touched beautifully on that. You said, you, you know, you went through this journey where you didn't actually expect to step forward that way and to kind of share your story in the way that you did and step so beautifully into your truth, but you did. And your, it was your willingness to be with something that, that probably I would imagine was quite painful. Um, or, or there was some fear 
around sharing, right? So well, massive fear, right? Like I was 24 when I fooled around the man for the first time, and it's like this isn't that I thought I would live with in secrecy for the rest of my life. I thought it was gonna be one of those things where I would never tell. I would, I didn't even think the person I was gonna marry I would tell this to. I just kind of thought it'd be like my own little secret, and. I would never tell the world. Why would I tell my parents? Why would I tell my friends? Like there was no the cost benefit analysis on my end is just like coming forward as a guy, it's like being bisexual. It's not a win win. And I talked about this in podcasts and my blog posts. It's like a girl being bisexual, amazing. Guys think threesomes is the best thing in the world. A guy, it's like you're instantly stigmatized. It's like you're gay, right? There's no there's no real benefit to it. And so I never thought I would talk about it. I never thought I'm like, but as I went on this journey, I'm like there are so many people hurting and suffering. And I know how many bisexual men are there and gay men that don't want to come forward. And I'm like, I need to separate. Wait, if this is my, what I call it a gift now, what God gave me, it's like, I need to talk about it because I was born with it for a reason. And I need to come forward. I need to be able to shine light on it and let other people talk about their pain. It's not about being bisexual. It's about what is your pain and having the courage to speak about your pain because what I learned from it is that nobody turned their back on me. People only got closer. The people that matter most leaned in and it was a beautiful experience. It wasn't the the catastrophe that I imagined in my head. It never came true is what it came down to it. Mm, that how you said that was so beautiful. It's just this recognition that our gift is just our willingness to surrender, to let go of everybody else's expectations and to step really courageously into the pain, right into the heart of what we what we feel is going to be so painful and to share that from our hearts because we realize that we're perfectly positioned to serve the people who have also gone through what we've gone through or are going through what we're going through in this current moment, right? That is actually our gift. We don't have to look for it, but we have to have this willingness to go into the unknown. And the unknown is is really our heart, right? Staying in our head keeps us protected. Going deeper into our heart again is we, we know what's there. We can remember what's there. Sometimes there's trauma and there's incidents and there's instances that make us forget. You know, there's these mechanisms that make us forget because we don't want to go back there. But we are all beautiful, perfect, complete, whole human beings, right? We we get to go back there we get to be guided back there and sharing that is so powerful right because you're changing lives through your story so um the earlier we can do that and and, and step into that that surrender in that unknown place as you're saying i think collectively that is the emotional evolution that you're referencing and what I want to add to that is what's coming for me earlier was the ability to go rogue because there are all these social expectations, whether it's school, your parents, but even now more like these social platforms where we feel this need to document our lives. And when we document our lives, we feel like we need to at 25 or 30 meet this status quo. So we have to look a certain way and it puts more pressure and boxes on us to fall into. And we don't fall into those boxes this is where the depression and anxiety begins because it's like, hey, my life is not looking that. It's like I'm 32. It's like I'm not really looking to settle down. Like I don't even know if I want to get married to a woman or a man. It's like I'm way further out. It's like I don't know like if I even want to get married. It's like but it, I should at this stage have a house. I should be married to a woman. I should have two kids. And it's like when I don't have those things, it's like it becomes scary and daunting. And so we we get lost and we that's when it's like, 
I'm fucked up or I'm, I'm wrong as a person. Like we start having these inner conflicts of like, I don't fit the mold. And so as much as I believe social media has positive impacts at the same time, it creates these pressures of us to look a certain way. And if you don't have the strength and ability to almost give it the middle finger and say, fuck you and move forward with your own life, it becomes very daunting and heavy for you to follow your heart. Right. And this goes back to it where it's like, are you, truly living in your essence and your heart or are you buying into messaging from somewhere externally and you know it's causing you internal conflict that is in the end not making you happy mm, yeah it, it, it's such an important point that it's so interesting because when we run our workshops like in tanzania where obviously there's a lot less use of like social media and access to for kids at least at this age that doesn't come up as an issue. And as soon as we were in workshops in places like Australia and, and America, uh, it's one of the first issues that comes up is, is this daunting, really painful experience for kids, teenagers of social media, of feeling like they're never good enough, right? These are the beliefs that come up. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. Um, I'll never be as popular as blank. Um, it, it's creating these impossible expectations. And honestly, We've had that for a while, even as adults. These are like tabloid magazines that have now been digitized into a widely accessible and ever-present platform for all of us. So we're kind of replacing the expectations of our parents with the expectations of society at our fingertips. And it's always there for us to chime in and let us and remind us whether, we're, whether we look or feel or, or having as good of a life as we should, right? But it's so important what you're saying is just remembering that what what is real and what isn't being able to stand in your heart and and come back to who you are at all points in time um and and not fall victim it's so difficult man it's so difficult this this kind of other world that's being presented that people aren't always truly living um and then like you said i think the, the practice here is just coming back to our essence and and Again, I would I'd point at what you said. If we can be in the heart of the emotional evolution, our head won't will can stop telling us this vicious cycle of stories, which is I'm not good enough. That comes from kind of comparing ourselves to other people that, that comes through in a place like social media. And dude, I'll tell you one reason why I love yoga. One of the earliest lessons I learned in yoga was it's your journey on the mat. Like stop comparing yourself to the other people around you. It's about you. And so like, I would, I'm a huge athletic guy. I grew up playing tennis. I played every sport, basketball, volleyball, cross country, did all of them. But when I started doing yoga, I'd find like the most flexible people in the room be like, shit, like I can't do what she or he's doing. Like I'm so inflexible. And this is the thing about the human brain is we always compare ourselves above. Very rarely do we look at the people and it sounds terrible below us and compare ourselves like those people. It's like, but we're always comparing against that in front of us. And so yoga to me taught me that where it's like, stop looking at the people around you. It's like, you got to ride your own mat. And so Todd Herman talks about this and he has this concept called the owl brain versus the wow brain. He talks about entrepreneurs that the ones that succeed have a wow factor. They're always blown away by their own achievements. They're like how small or trivial, it doesn't matter. They're just amazed at how they're moving forward. And those little wins, they keep stacking them up and move forward. The owl brain's like, I'm not making enough money. I can't get my business off the ground. Nobody's listening to my marketing. And you focus on all the negatives. And he says, those are the entrepreneurs that give up. And I feel like 
that is just the thing for life where it's like it is your own journey but you got to look at your own progress what are you wowing about your own life because we're so ow 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 we focus on our pain points that we never give ourselves a chance to really move forward and so we hurt ourselves more and more as opposed to allowing ourselves to evolve because we're all beautiful creatures we all have so many things to offer and give but we don't spend enough time focusing on those because like there's just so many other things we can compare against the six pack out there or the more money or the followers like there's so many things that and you'll never have all of it but that's just it's how we're wired almost and i don't know if we can ever get over it but it's a huge thing going on right now and it's something that is very fascinating to me is what it comes down to it yeah and it's like what you're saying as soon as we get one thing then <laughs> our, our brain our monkey mind tells us to like focus on the next right we get the six pack and then we don't yeah go to the next one i need the relationship whatever it might be it pops up um and we're kind of filling the void but i think what's this is a really important point I, that i that i love that you brought up because especially in, in even in this personal development space which focuses so much energy on gratitude, I think we have to really take a step back and just give ourselves credit for how far we've come. It's like remembering, like you don't, it, there's almost like this notion within gratitude of, of being so present in this moment that we're grateful for what's here and now that our monkey mind almost looks forward up the mountain. But I love, um, I love looking back and saying, wow, it wasn't that long ago, right? Like it, this growth happened so exponentially. I, for me, I can say my life just a year, just one year ago, I was a completely different person. It doesn't mean I have everything now by no means at all. And, and it, it just means emotionally I dealt with myself and I looked at myself in such a different way. I don't even had to have made that big of a leap in that many areas of my life. I'm just giving myself like my soul. I'm having this moment of like soul recognition that, hey man, I really see you. Or talking with my inner child. Like, hey buddy, I really, I really see you. I, even a year ago, I didn't spend that much time talking to you or listening to you. I'm so present with you now. Like I'm here for you in such a big way. I think that's so crucial. That is such crucial work to be able to say, I've come so far. I might still be up against a lot of my life, but guess what? That's the human experience. It's always going to show up. The universe will always test us, right? We'll, there'll always be something. It'll be one thing or another. So that recognition that, that we've come a long way, we've done, a lot, we've done all this work, it can be so painful, I think, for a lot of people that, especially in the personal development industry, as coaches, I hear this all the time from other coaches is, Oh, I don't need to do that work. I've already done it, right? Um, that that can that can and I've right. I've had this notion too. Why am I still like healing through this? I feel like I've already done this healing work before. Why am I still in this? Because we're human beings. We're we're being asked to always step into the work, but at a different point in time and with a new recognition. If you wouldn't have done it for a year for this last year, you wouldn't be able to see yourself how you see yourself now. And now you're at another layer. Now you're peeling away something else. That's the beauty of the journey that you're talking about, that people can see themselves in this different way. It's, I'm recognizing myself that I have always have so much more work to do, but I don't look at that from a point place of scarcity. I look at that as I get an opportunity to continue to work on myself. What a beautiful gift I've been given this life and this breath 
to be able to sit and to see what parts of myself that I really love and I can continue to love even more. That's, those aren't areas of improvement. I don't need to fix anything, but what a gift it is that I get to even sit with this stuff. It's a blessing. And that's beautiful. And I feel like this would be a great place to start wrapping up. And one of the a few last questions to wrap up, but one being any last advice for people that want to tap into more surrendering. And even like you said, what you just mentioned right there, the inner child speaking to the inner child, like the last year, even spending more time with that. Any advice on how you do that, whether it's a journaling thing, whether it's waking up each morning and spending time, any last words in regards to that? Yeah, that's exactly what would be my advice, would be doing a lot of work with your inner child. So a lot of my coaching work, we just held a workshop in Bali um, that was called It's Time to Rise. And it was all, it was an inner child workshop and it was discovering the inner child and healing the inner child and remembering and then playing right playing as a child again and that would be one of the one of the exercises that we put forward to the, the participants would be to print out a photo of you as a kid whatever point in time you have when you were just a little boy or a little girl print that photo out and put it on your mirror and every morning when you go to do something like brush your teeth and you look in the mirror take just an extra few minutes to really like to stare into the eyes that of that child and to really check in with him or her and just ask them, what do they need? You know, what do they need? How are they feeling? Do they feel sad? What are they afraid of? What's coming up for them? So for us, I do all sorts of meditations and visualizations to kind of guide people into that process so they can meet and be with and share these experiences with their inner child. But I think it's just important every single day just to check in and to, and to ask him or her what she needs and how she's feeling, just to check in and tune in because often we're coming from a place of our inner child feeling unloved. We've been living with this feeling of, of being unloved or abandoned for a really long time. And as a result, we might have been neglecting our inner child for years. So just the acknowledgement to say that, hey, buddy, like I see you. And even though you, your voice might not have been heard when, when you were a little boy, you were a little girl, I hear you and I really, really love you. And here's why I'm here for you. I'm going to show up for you in a big way every single day. That to me is, it's a simple practice, but it's something really powerful people can do every single day. Amazing. And I love it. And then in the last year or two, any books or social influencers or people on YouTube that have had a profound impact on you, anything that you feel people should check out or discover? Oh, man, I, I absolutely. I know you've had uh, my brother Preston Smiles on the podcast, um, and I'm sure you've had his wife Alexi on I've here, too. I've had Alexi too. and Preston. Yeah, they're both amazing human beings. Yeah, yes. I, I, I wouldn't go any further than them. Their, their new book that they came out with is, I don't know if you've read it, but it's it's incredible. Um, both of their books individually are, are epic. I would check out both of those. But um, I, I think their, their, their new book, Now or Never, would be a must-have. I would definitely recommend just the, their approach, how practical it is, but how deep it goes. It really gives you a powerful overview of how they run their their workshops, the bridge experience, and um, their content on YouTube is is absolutely worth checking out if you haven't seen it yet. So, a lot of love to my brother and sister, Preston and Alexi. 
Amazing. And I feel you and I could keep chatting for hours, but I want to reach out to the audience because if I release a four-hour podcast, it would take people a long time to get through it. <laughs> so uh, if people do want to find you, though, and find out more about you and what you do, where can they discover more about Renew and Adam Rubin? Yeah, definitely. So you can check me out on my website. It's adamrubin.com. And there's actually a link to Renew on that website, but you can also go to our website, which is renewchange.org. Uh, and you can find me, of course, on Facebook. You can find uh, Renew on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff, too. And any plans to do workshops for adults in the U.S. or Australia anytime soon, or is it mainly focused towards kids? Yeah, great question. So we're actually um, going to be launching workshops for adults around November and we're going to launch that uh, October and November and that's going to be a combination of, of mostly our workshops are going to be in Australia. Uh, we're also going to have one in, in Arizona for, for, for adults as well. Um, so actually the tail end of this year, the last, the, the final quarter this year, we'll be training adults not only as participants, but we're going to start the work of training adults to help us lead these workshops for kids. So it's going to be this really beautiful full circle experience where now we get to expand into new communities and, and reach more kids. Awesome. And so for all my American and Australian listeners, you guys can check that out in October, November. We will bring Adam back on around that time to talk more about it when it's going to go launch. Cool, brother. It's been uh, amazing connecting and chatting. Thank you for taking time to sit down with me and my audience today. Such a blessing, brother. Thank you so much. Super grateful for this opportunity. Thank you, man. And we'll connect soon again. I For sure, I know it. All right. All the best, brother. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Adam Rubin. I don't even know what I want to make the takeaway for that podcast because I feel we dived into so much stuff. But I feel the most integral part was, again, the end. And it happens again and again in podcasts where I feel the most money part happens very much at the end when we connect and gel. And so talking to your inner child where Adam was talking about this, an idea that hasn't come up on the podcast yet, but really makes a lot of sense to me. And this goes back again to like the logical mind processing what the emotional body needs to process, where we need to connect to our inner child. And what is it that we want to do as kids? What is it that we feared? What is it that we love? What do we want to do? And connecting more and more with that because deep down inside, that child continues to live on in us and there's no way to separate us from ourselves. But somehow we do. We feel like we need to grow up and be adults, but deep down we're the same human being again and again. And so connecting to that inner child and listening more to it, what is it that it wants? What is it desiring? What is it feeling? What is it missing? Like what emotional connection is it longing for? Is it something your parents aren't giving you? Something your significant partner isn't giving you? Something you're not giving yourself? Something that society's not giving you? You need to find and identify that because in the end, we are responsible for our own emotional being. And if we're longing for something or missing something, we need to start working and identifying that. And so talking to that emotional child is a great place to begin. And so that is going to be the takeaway from this podcast. I can't say enough good things about my conversation with Adam. I truly enjoyed that. It went a little bit on the long end. We went over the hour mark, but we were jamming and thrilling and railing, and that's not even a word, but we were moving forward and we had a great chat. And so thank you so much for tuning in. 
If you enjoy this podcast, pass it along to somebody that needs to hear it or you feel would like to hear it. This is how the podcast continues to grow and spread throughout the world. So please pass it along. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want me to send the latest episodes to you, jump on my email list because I'm getting on that and sending them out consistently now. And I will have the latest episodes sent directly to you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, I look forward to having you here.